0: ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI in the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. I'd point you to them. What the Department of Justice said in a letter from the attorney General is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying from the Department of Justice.
1: Well, that's Jen Saki. Welcome back to the second hour of the Tobler Show. That's Jen Psaki talking about the memo from Merrick Garland that mentioned more than direct threats. It mentioned intimidation and harassment. Miss Pisaki talking about the National School Boards Association. Um, And so don't try to gild the lily. This was an expansive statement that was meant to muzzle parents who are concerned about what their children are being taught. And the last time we checked about it, checked on it, the public schools are in fact... um, run by and funded by we, the people. And so when you think about evil, you think about, um, I think about tyranny. We talked about tyranny last week at length. And I think they're related because it really amounts to one of those sins of um, the human heart, which is, which is um, ego and, and um, sins against one another. The abuse of power. And you can tell in the tone of Pasaki's voice, you can tell in that condescending attitude, um, her nonverbal language, if you will, uh, certainly speaks to that. But it gets worse in the political circles around D.C. and everything about that, where five or six, depending on the year, out of the top 10 richest counties in America surround D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and what can you say? But when you know you follow the power and you find the money and you find the money, you'll eventually find the power. Silicon Valley, Washington, DC, those are now the centers of power in this country. So we pivot from that um, expression of the wellspring of evil, which is from the the overinflated and self-aggrandizing, human heart at some and brain to Joe Biden. And, and in the wake of a, a protest, someone protesting Kristen Sinema's opposition to a absolutely devastating tax and spend bill called budget reconciliation. She and Manchin are the only holdouts and she's no, she's no Ronald Reagan. She's no Donald Trump in terms of her right, you know, leaning and populist approach. She she's a lefty. I guess these days called a moderate. Ten years ago she'd have been a lefty. But she's, you know, holding the line. And we saw the protesters, an illegal alien following her into the bathroom and filming filming her going into a stall for crying out loud and harassing her. That's harassment. And here is what dear Joe, Uncle Joe, mild manner Joe, which I don't buy, whenever he leans into the mic and goes, Just get the vaccine. Just pay your taxes. When he does that, I mean, that's like, oh, my God. I hope there's not a Gatling gun anywhere around. It'd be in the next the remake of The Sopranos. Just get your taxes paid. That's a patriotic thing to do. Well, here's what good old Uncle Joe says about protesting, harassing Christian cinema in a ladies' stall, bathroom stall, by an illegal alien. Go.
0: Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have... 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. T. L. Adam, Senator Sinema, last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate
1: tactics, but it happens to everybody from the the only people that doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. So that's the President of the United States legitimizing an illegal alien going into a stall and harassing a U.S. Senator. As an aside, let me just comment that I heard some talking heads the other day, I forget which channel, whether it was CNN or whether it was, I don't know, I, I monitor them all, talking about a U.S. senator. No one should do. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Every one of you and me, even Max, shouldn't be harassed that way. Just kidding you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Max. If he if he does a bad review on I'm one of those adventure Marvel movies that I like and he sort of disses us common people who like that kind of stuff, <laughs> eh, we might harass him a little bit. No. <laughs> no, we covered that last week. Max actually didn't didn't um put me down because i like the marvel you know simple-minded universe of the marvel things with the iron man fully i like okay okay I, I i did have a hard time even making it through the second wonder woman movie though i did i didn't that, that wasn't very good I, it didn't impress me that much um but i digress the point is the fact that the president can legitimize what i would that's evil to me that's evil it's not evil in the sense of the holocaust but it's evil it's an expression of evil when someone thinks they can go in and walk into a stall and harass someone with the iPhone going and then what is wrong with Joe Biden oh and did you hear about this Bernie Sanders so Cory Booker organized a letter uh, you know saying that condemning this a statement uh, uh, condemning the recent protest against the uh, against his colleague so um Cory Booker, and I think there were several other signatories. I think maybe even AOC, I'm not sure, but there were a lot of people who signed it. And guess what? Sanders wouldn't sign it. And so Sanders' communication director asked the statement to be edited in order for him to sign it. So now he's holding hostage a reasonable statement against this kind of outrageous behavior against a sitting senator. And, and Sanders' team says, quote, while we hope Senator Sinema will change her position on prescription drug reform and support a major reconciliation bill, bop, 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 you know, put, they wanted to insert that to make a political statement. The politics have gone crazy in this country. It is going to be our ruination. We are going to be looking at a virtual civil war, if not an actual civil war, if we don't watch it. Where are the reasonable-minded people? Here's another instance of I'm sorry. Maybe it doesn't rise to again the evil that that we we've seen when people, you know, walk into a house and rape and kill someone. I'm not but it's there's a there's an element of evil that is wasping throughout the air in the swamp and through the halls of Congress. The other day after after Mitch McConnell took a political hit and spent a lot of political capital in his own caucus to extend the debt limit I don't think he's stupid. I think he's doing this for a purpose. When people are, when it's Christmas time and people will not be so willing to hold anything against him uh, or or give basically his own team giving him credit for raising the debt limit extensively, he'll have the, I think he'll have the, or he'll hold the Democrats hostage to whatever he needs to, to, to extend the debt limit. He's pretty crafty. But he did, he blinked. And in wake of that, instead of a gracious, hey, thank you, Mitch McConnell, maybe this is the beginning of a new way when we can begin to talk together, like, like Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan worked together, and we worked across the aisle, and the Blue Dogs and the Republican, blah, blah, blah. Instead of that, here's what Chucky, don't get between me and a microphone, Schumer said.
2: On Monday morning, I said we needed to pass a bill to address the debt limit by the end of the week, and that is exactly what we did. Republicans played a dangerous and risky partisan game, and I am glad that their brinksmanship did not work. For the good of America's families, for the good of our economy, Republicans must recognize in the future that they should approach fixing the debt limit in a bipartisan way. What is needed now is a long-term solution, so we don't go through this risky drama every few months. And we hope Republicans will join in enacting a long-term solution to the debt limit in December. We're ready to work with them. Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans insisted they wanted a solution to the debt ceiling, but said Democrats must raise it alone by going through a drawn-out, convoluted and risky reconciliation process. That was simply unacceptable to my caucus. And yesterday, Senate Republicans finally realized that their obstruction was not going to work. No grace,
1: no civility, no collegiality, just hammer and hammer and double down on the hatred and the vitriol. And I... I I don't. To me, you can't say it's coming from anywhere but a heart that is hardened against against any kind of human decency. Chuck Schumer is not a decent man, and if he were here today in my home, I would tell him to his face that was an ungracious, uncivil, and frankly un-American thing to do and it's the same it's that's the same kind of behavior that i think donald trump was guilty of and that got him in trouble with many people who otherwise would have voted for him there's a time to be firm and vociferous and call people out this was not one of them and if you heard, there was another little thing in there that he said uh, they wanted the Republicans wanted us to go through the long and drawn out and circum uh, the, the convoluted process of budget reconciliation. Hello, Chucky baby, what are you doing with the budget reconciliation when you want to spend 3.5, 4.5, 5.5? Well, how many point five trillion is it? You'll do that for budget reconciliation. This is a chip shot to do to raise the debt limit. You just don't want to own it. And at the end of that, it was priceless. During that clip, Joe Manchin is sitting behind Chuck Schumer when he's saying that, and he's got his hands in his head, and he finally walked out. And um, then on the way out, it was reported, and I saw a clip that said that Joe, Joe Manchin said, we have lost civility. Where is the civility? You know, basically saying, this: we cannot continue with this. We cannot have this kind of political invective going on and, um, you know, he's calling out people and he's saying it just can't be what he says. What I don't think what was appropriate. This is a quote from Manchin as he was leaving the Senate building, the, the, the Capitol. He said, I don't think it was appropriate at this time. What Sch- what Schumer just said. And we had a talk about that. He felt charged up. He and I had a good conversation. Manchin. I just think basically what we got to do is find the pathway forward to make sure that we de-weaponize. We have to de-weaponize. We can't be playing politics. None of us can on both sides, okay? The frustration was built up, and I'm sure Chuck's frustration was built, and that was not the way to take it out. We just disagreed. I would have done it differently. He says it's just that civility is gone, okay? And I'm not going to be a part of getting rid of that. I'll try to bring it back, and I'll speak out when I see something do something I don't like. Well, Manchin is not, you know, certainly not the, the conservative we'd all like. But in a in a red state, West Virginia, somehow he's found a way to make it work, and we'll see whether he stays tall on this. He's already indicated, though, he's caving. You know, it's 1.5 trillion he wanted in in that he wrote in an email in uh, in July, and now it's up to 2.2. Will it be 2.5? I think he'll probably end up caving. Shame on him, and we'll call him out for that. Because we call balls and strikes. Yes, we do. Finally, on the theater of the absurd, we're going to play this before we get to Eric Robert. Um, There was a, well, I tell you what, we'll try to cover it later. Uh, I want to get to Eric because we got a lot to talk about. And maybe we'll talk about it with Eric because Eric's not just, uh, you know, part of the Stiefel team and a great great host on this show, co-host along with with, uh, Bob. But we will... uh, we will talk with Eric Robert, who will be hosting the show for me next week. And you get to know Eric through all of our years together uh, on that other station. And now on the Welcome Home station, Talk STL. And I'm really looking forward to talking with him because I can't make sense out of some of the things in this budget reconciliation bill. I can't make sense out of the jobs report. I can't make sense. It looks like we're heading into stagflation. And uh, he's our resident uh, economist on the, on the show. At least that's what I think he is. So, Eric Robert coming up right after this on News Talk STL. It's a Tobler Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Infinity. 724. Hope you got your cup of joe and maybe heating up the skillet. I don't know. Saturday mornings are... Uh, for me, that's uh, when I sort of break the healthy eating that my wife mandates. Now that we're in the line of mandate, I get to mandate all week with the healthy food. But we have a little bit of a make a nice French omelet and some bacon, maybe sausage, some great coffee, a little roll here or there. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday morning. Thanks for being with us. Along with Max, I'm Tobler. It's The Tobler Show. And um, now a good friend and uh, a, a longtime uh, political um Co-conspirator in the in all things right, and I don't mean necessarily right-wing, I just mean full of integrity and great analysis, Eric Robert, part of the Stiefel team, uh, and of course Stiefel sponsors this program, also co-host with Bob Stockdale of On the Money right after this program. How you doing, Eric? Good morning. You have your coffee, French omelet, and bacon? I had no
0: French omelet and bacon, but I have the freshly brewed coffee right in front of me, especially uh, made for the Rainy Topo show.
1: There, there you go. Thank you. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear. Hey, uh, I, I wanted to talk. There's so much to talk about. Um, and I guess we should start out. I wanted to talk with you about the budget reconciliation process and, you know, what that kind of infusion of money generally means into the economy. While it's said that... Um, You know, I mean, I I don't remember the exact ratio that Nancy Pelosi likes to say and those on the left. But it's like, well, for every dollar of government spending, it generates three dollars of economic activity. I've never I've never made sense out of that, Eric. How can two point five, three point five, five point five trillion dollars over 10 years do anything but devalue our the value of a dollar and inflate the prices of things we pay at the market? Can can you help us understand that?
0: Yeah. Listen, anytime you have uh, politicians speaking about uh, economics and economic growth in terms of the actual numbers that would derive from one of their massive spending bills. It's it's just politics, Randy. So there, I, I can't explain it because it's not explainable. Uh, spending whether it's you know 1.5 trillion dollars or 3.5 trillion dollars in doing so with significant tax increases, but trying to say that that's going to be solved through economic growth due to the spending, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but it's a selling point that you see happen all the time whenever massive spending bills are wanting to get passed. Now I say that on one side but you also have to understand that you know a, a government spending does drive some level of economic activity so there's just kind of like there's good debt and bad debt in your personal financial life uh, there's there's good spending and bad spending when it comes to the government and depending on whether we're supporting regular services making sure we're not disrupting the economy or there are certainly infrastructure level investments that only the government can step in and do we can't we can't act like those things can't or shouldn't happen but That's not really what's been discussed more recently in Washington. So I'm not not trying to argue those points with Nancy Pelosi.
1: No, you're right. And I think it's interesting. We should drill down on, on what you what you said about government can do things and should do things. And I think there's two points there. One is, yes, there are things that it takes the collective contributions of the people to be given through taxes to the government to then administer in behalf of the common good, right? That's a constitutional principle. What I'm troubled by is that the federal government has taken more and more and more of a cut of our overall tax burden and taken a huge swath of Overhead, (laughs) not that. And again, like you said, you know, we're we're not against the the proper investment in government things that the government do, but they a huge bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic, you know, overhead amount and take that out. And then in many cases, they give it back to the states in some kind of weird partnership formulas. Medicaid is one example. The roads are another. Um, And you wonder at what Denomination of government? Sh- some of these only government can do items be invested in by the people. You, you hear where I'm coming from on that? I'm worried about that. Yeah, they're taking our yeah, money. Absolutely. They take a big cut of it, and then they they dribble a little back to us, like mama bird at the nest giving you a worm, and you're thankful for it. it
0: yeah, it's it's a whole different. Take on that whole trickle-down economics theory that uh, the same people pushing these things say is uh, so bad. Uh, Well, they have a different sort of trickling down that takes place from the federal government, don't they? Uh, So your point is entirely valid, Randy. The, The things the government can do better, you know, like... Uh, I don't know, building tanks and warships and and things for our national defense. So who knows, maybe a novel idea like uh, uh, some sort of barrier at the border for immigration purposes that might cross multiple states. These are novel concepts. I know that listeners in this station might not have heard of them very often, but they seem like the sort of the, the federal government would be right at home doing uh, this sort that's of. A, that's
1: an exclusive right. and radical idea, Eric. That's an exclusive oh, it's, right here on the Tober Show and a radical idea. I'm going to call you out on. that one, man. Borders and guns and ships. Oh, what are you talking about? I
0: know. I know. I know. I mean, we can even do it in other countries sometimes. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, But pulling it off here is different. Uh, But whenever you look at uh, getting involved in the funding on a day-to-day basis of our local public schools. Have we seen in the last several decades any instance where the federal government has really done a good thing by getting more involved with public schools? And that goes back not just to recent changes, but even to, you know, the the, uh, the stuff in the George W. Bush administration with standardized right. testing. It wasn't exactly a panacea. So uh, those are the sort of areas where I think we can do a lot better by focusing at the local mm-hmm. level.
1: And, you know, it's so funny just from a logical um, what's the word? Misthought that a lot of people have. When I have this discussion with people, it's like, look, there, there's a enumerate, enumerated powers and and defined roles that the federal government has, and after that, that's the that's why we call it the United States of America, right? Um, And people will say, oh, but look at the waste in the military. Oh, my gosh, a hammer costs ten dollars. And I say, yeah, look, granted, no doubt about it. And we have to be good watchdogs and have ombudsmen and have. That's why we have inspectors general. And, you know, that's why there's journalists. uh, No doubt about it. Whistleblower protection and everything. But uh, doesn't that make the point that if there's. Uh, an, a, a lane for corruption and graft in federal government projects like defense issues, why in the world we would, would we want to make the one-lane highway into 5, 6, 10, 12 lanes? I mean, it, it really makes the very point that I think a small or limited government people are about, but yet those on the left who want to expand government and have it be the answer to everyone don't see that. It's a terrible logical misstep. It's crazy, isn't it?
0: it it's definitely a, a major blind spot. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I wish we could say it was just one party or the other that had this blind spot. But it seems to be politicians generally as they make it into the federal machine, uh, because there, there are good people who head to Washington that, that say these things and then don't seem to live up to, I don't know, kind of like some of the uh, uh, GOP senators that have approved this debt ceiling increase. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I'm not really sure that this jives with the long-term strategy, uh, but it it appears the path that they're going down.
1: We're talking with Eric Robert, uh, erstwhile host on this uh, radio station. You don't want to miss him and Bob every Saturday morning on On the Money at uh, at 9 o'clock. And uh, Eric, thanks in advance for doing this for me while we had – on a little vacation next week so thanks for that you'll be on the show next week do you have any any things in mind just a little preview for the listeners anything uh, on your mind that you'll be covering absolutely
0: you, you know one thing that i want to dive into and it's a topic that's been on the station quite a bit but it's one that's hit close to home uh, in our household is the the changing environment within our public schools you know, we, we have seven kids in the Robert household. It is a crazy fun time here. And uh, we, we, we wow. enjoyed a lot, but we, when you have seven kids, guess what? Uh, nobody's going to private school we're, going, we're public we're a public school family and we really support our public schools and our public school teachers but there are some problems in the public schools here uh, even at a local level unfortunately as we know in the st. Louis area we've run into it as a family and so I want to you know look for resources and talk to the listeners about how can we constructively be more involved in a local level in our public schools and to help be constructive with our teachers and while standing ground and saying, listen, I'm not going to sit idly by while leftism indoctrination happens in the classroom with my children, funded by my taxpaying dollars, just not going to do it.
1: Well, we need to talk about that a little more. Maybe you heard an earlier segment when we covered the Merrick Garland uh, AG memo that I think is – is wide enough in its description of what the FBI has permission or is charged to, you know, start having conversations with local law officials about. It's not just about violence. It's not just about threats of violence, but it's more. It's about quote intimidation and harassment. Well, if Eric Robert and his wife go in and say, Hey, I'm a little worried about 1619 trickling in, some critical race theory trickling into my children's, you know, civics and, and history education. Um, and, you know, maybe you get a little vocal. Maybe you raise your voice at the podium. Maybe you even along with a dozen other people have a sign that says, you know, either eliminate 1619 or we'll vote you out. Is that is that intimidation? And if someone on the school board thinks that's harassment, is Eric going <laughs> to have an FBI agent knocking at his door? I mean, do those thoughts cross your mind or, and others? Or where are we on this? Okay. Well,
0: They do. I I think the the biggest uh, the the best adjective I can give you, or verb rather, that I can give you on this is is it has a chilling effect on on public participation, particularly conservatives in this case. Um, Because tell you, you know me, I'm not the type of guy who's going to be red faced and you know in some public bureaucrat's face yelling at them because I like a lesson plan stuff. No, I'm going to write. A, you know, a formal letter of complaint probably to some regulatory board. I will show up and I'll be very much uh, firm in their face, but I'll be professional about it. And that's kind of just my demeanor. Um, I think we need more of that, though, because bluster and headlong and grabbing uh, the confrontations that you see in school boards. Those, I do think it's important to drive a message across from a First Amendment standpoint. Sometimes that's all that gets a bureaucrat's attention is getting you know, red red right. public uh, uh, participants in their face. But in our case, we've also gonna show them that you have the swing behind the bat to say, We're going to yep. do this and we're gonna drive it home. And uh, we look like we wish Cardinals had this last. It
1: didn't quite work. Yeah, boy, you're you're right. No, well, the last time I saw you re- red faced was when we had great ratings on the show one year, and we had a party the night before. But in the next, I mean, a little red face. But that's the only time I've ever seen you red faced. Eh? No, I'm kidding you. Yes. No, and and you're right. I, I we had a conversation about that earlier. How sometimes, I mean, certainly we see it on the left where people who they they differ. They may they have a point which I disagree with, but. If they can remain civil and so forth, that we can have a discussion. But we we abhor the the violence, the riots, the in-your-face, the toppling down of statues, the you know the physical expressions of one's point of view. And I think it it would counsel us on the right to be, as you described, reasonable, professional. You can be full-throated and and firm and vociferous in your objection, but I think it defeats. Our point and diminishes our success and effectiveness if we're if we're too brash sometimes, don't you?
0: It, 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 it certainly does, and, and that's not to say that it doesn't. We have to recognize no matter what you do, if if you're a conservative, you're going to be portrayed by the media as red-faced and blustery and throwing a fit. Right? That's just <laughs> right. the the, yeah. the, car, the deck is stacked against us. But don't give them the in, and then it's that much more powerful whenever you're right, which which we are.
1: Yeah, well, we are right. I, not, not just right. We're always right, which is why I don't go golfing much, because it always ends up in the fairway to the right. I slice that way, too. It's just bad. Um, yeah. Eric, I want to I wanted to um, ask you on the other side of the upcoming break, if you can hang with us one more. There's a couple of other issues I want to get to. And one is the. Um, the issue with the jobs report. And if you have any thought, I mean, even the labor secretary was sort of scratching his head yesterday saying, why is I mean, you know, everyone's bewildered that every I, no one can seem to explain this. We have 11 million job openings Um the, the, the extended unemployment benefits have dried up. Uh, it's it's a little bit I'm a, I'm a little miffed by it. So maybe you can help us unpack that. I have sure. some ideas. I'm anxious to hear yours. And also this global tax. That, uh, you know, stealthily was passed, uh, what, 100 and some odd countries, 130 some odd countries signed it. And uh, what that can do to global economy, the U.S. economy, U.S. corporations, you know, in terms of how they might respond to it. So we'll talk about that when we come back, if you can hang with us, right? Let's do it. All right. Eric Robert there host uh, Co host with Bob Stockdale of On the Money, right after this program on News Talk STL 1019 941, your Android or iOS app, and of course on Alexa Skill. 314 912 1019. If you want to call and say hi and maybe weigh in on some of the things we're talking about, we'd be happy to take that call. Be right back in just a little bit around the corner. Whoa, I see 194,000. That is real low. Consensus of 500,000. August was
0: revised up a bit, so 366,000. Uh, let me go to the other, the jobless rate. Uh, wow, big decline, 4.8%. percent 5one was expected. Let me go to the, the, the B1 table and see if I can find, uh, where the jobs were. And I think in this case, where the jobs weren't is what we're trying to figure out. It was, it was definitely a weaker number than expected.
1: Well, there was a, a commentator on CNBC going, whoa, as he saw the the jobs report, just the second month in a row, really tepid numbers and falling well short of, of industry analyst predictions. And uh, to help us unpack where have all the workers gone on the one hand and why are the jobs not You know, booming uh, as COVID is declining on the other is Eric Robert, who uh, helps us try to understand some of these things that are reported in the world of the economy. And uh, you can listen to Eric along with Bob Stockdale every uh, Saturday here right after the show on on The Money. Great, great, great listening. Hey, so Eric, I mean, this is getting to be a concerning deal. I mean, uh, you've taught me before that one month of a report here or there in the market or the jobs or the economy or the GDP, eh, doesn't a trend make? I get that. But we've got a couple in a row now. And when you have the labor secretary celebrating the fact that the 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 unemployment rate went down to four point eight percent. Whoa, it dropped. Well that's because people aren't in the workforce. And we lost what, three hundred thousand, another three hundred, four hundred thousand in the workforce. What is going on, Eric Robert? I, I'm scratching my head on this one. <laughs>
0: Well, so let's unpack that, and also with the unemployment rate dropping to four point eight percent, you have to remember that top line employment rate figure also does not include people who have found uh, part time work that are underemployed. Uh, So, you know, it just doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, Here's what happened: one hundred and ninety four thousand jobs created in September, according to the official government payrolls report, Uh, and that is undoubtedly a weak number for this stage of the recovery, and it's almost entirely attributable to the rise of the Delta variant. The same reason that you saw the August jobs figure uh, much more muted is the the Delta variant started surging at toward the end of July, August. It was continuing to work up to a peak. It it appears to have peaked about the beginning of September. And then September, it's been declining, but it certainly has been at at very high levels and that's weighed on the labor market. But if you get below the top line, Randy, you have to look at where were those jobs? And what actually happened was the uh, private sector actually added 317,000 jobs last month, according to the government's release. And that's, that was a, more in line with expectations, if not a bit above them for the private sector. The problem is the government, public sector. We were talking about whether government spending can impact uh, economics at all. Well, here you go. Public sector jobs, primarily at schools, Fell by 123,000, offsetting uh, almost half of the private sector job creation. Uh, and now I, I, I don't have any formal reports on what the reasoning was why those government jobs went away. Although I think you can look at the current, you know, what's been going on in, in society lately with some some states and, and uh, uh, school districts in you know putting new burdens on their employees. Well, that mm-hmm. can have a direct action on whether or not people continue to show up for work or remain in, in, under your employment. Um, so one thing to keep in mind on the private sector side here, the private sector is what's going to be driving this economy home. Not uh, not a, a whole bunch of government spending or, or the government hiring half of America. That's not what's going to get you a true recovery. ADP, which is a private payrolls firm, also releases a monthly uh, kind of a preview of what they think happened based on their payroll data. Uh, ADP showed private jobs rising by 568,000 for the month of September, which was above expectations. So when you put all that data together, both the government release and the ADP release show private sector job creation actually outpacing expectations, but the government was the drag on job growth at least. The other thing with the 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 government's number that you have to remember is there's there's seasonal adjustments that take place, especially in the fall. Uh and and it's hard to suss out how much of that, you know, the, the reported number is impacted by seasonality versus uh the churn inside of the numbers as well. Um the punchline is Randy, yeah, job growth is not where it needs to be or where it should be. Uh and there I do think that there are things that we could be doing that would facilitate more job growth or least not impede job growth there are active things being done that are hurting job growth right now uh, but the biggest issue is the Delta variant and with it fading and hopefully as it continues to fade we, you know, we should expect the labor market as well as supply chain issues to loosen up
1: yeah it's a great analysis uh, you mentioned the Delta variant I mean I think that may be a uh, that may be applicable in in areas where it is surging but even in areas where it stopped surging um, you know a few weeks ago, Uh, I can tell you up in in, in my area and in the industries around us, still lots of signs, small shops, big shops, lots of signs. And people aren't coming back to work, even though and in many cases they didn't care about it anyway. It's this is anti-mask, anti-vax territory in lots of rural Missouri. And I'm wondering if there's also a component of the reassessment, as it's called, where people are just this whole issue about work-life balance uh, and that people, especially if they're maybe nearing retirement or if they, uh, for whatever reason, they've just decided, hey, I'm, I'm," you know, during the COVID-19 sort of reassess things. There's a lot being talked about in social circles and the the psychological circles, like people are reevaluating things. And I wonder if there's a component of that. I don't know how you capture that and whether there's questionnaires to people that are not employed, but, you know. What do you think?
0: There, there absolutely is. Actually, on on, uh, on, on the money coming up at 9, we'll speak to uh, baby boomers in particular uh, who have reassessed when and how they're going to retire during the pandemic. And, and uh, give that a listen. So, yes, there's, this is officially a realignment, uh, in case you're late to the party here. <laughs> Things are not <never laughs> going to be the same economically, socially, politically, on a number of fronts. We're not just going back to the way things were. That doesn't mean they have to be worse, by the way. But when you're when you're looking at whether or not COVID, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Okay, it doesn't matter your, your political senses on COVID. It's very much still in the grips of it. Today's case numbers, even though we're on the decline, today's case numbers are the equivalent mid to late February twenty twenty one or mid to late November twenty twenty. Those were not good times. Yeah, in COVID was the first time he had experienced these. Right, right. We're just we're used to it now, but there's real economic drag there.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, a memo to President Biden, the, the, the single thing that President Biden could do if he's going to do a mandate, uh, I, I'm curious what you think about this, Um I told CNN, the team of CNN reporters came up and shot uh, what we're doing at the hospital in our area last week. I think it's going to air sometime next week. And I told him, I said, look, if he's going, to, I'm not for mandates. I think that's counterproductive in this polarized environment. You should try to encourage people to get a vaccine because of the data and the science Not and you know not not force them. But anyway, if you're going to do a mandate, what, if, what Eric, if he were to come out tomorrow and say, look, if you have a test, an antigen or a, a PCR test that you've had COVID or you have antibodies because you think you had COVID, you didn't get tested, but you know, you show me your antibodies. Um, or a vaccine. Welcome to the club. You know, you don't have to you don't have to get vaccinated if you've had natural immunity. That's 100 million people it's estimated that have had COVID and they're being forced to be vaccinated and a lot of them either won't go to or are going to leave and have left their jobs. I think it's a huge policy mistake and an opportunity at the same time.
0: It is I do think it's a huge policy mistake if we're prioritizing economic growth and job growth. Uh, anything that gets in the way of that is an issue, especially in the, the situations that you're referencing where, where it's largely just unnecessary. We're not. I, I mean, I do think things like, you know, vaccine mandates, when you're talking about working inside of a hospital, uh, I'm not defending it. I, 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 you're the doctor, Randy. You're the guy who runs the hospital. I'll defer to your guidance and wisdom on that issue. I can at least wrap my head around it. But when you're when you're talking about, you know, people going to work at a department store, uh, what or, you know, it yeah, just makes right, no sense right. to me.
1: Or at or at a football stadium or, you know, you're throwing yeah. you're you're delivering peanuts or beer at the ballpark or that, that makes no sense. No, look, I was I was proud before the mandate uh, that there was, we didn't have a mandate because, again, it's 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 we keep circling back, Eric, every time you and I talk on the air or off, it's it's always. Everything circles back to a reminder of the brilliance of our constitutional system and our republic, small R Republican system, where you a one-size-fits-all mandate doesn't work. Maybe, maybe if you're in a large, highly densely populated area like New York City, maybe even certain pockets in St. Louis, whatever, um, might make sense to have a mandate because you have a large labor pool. So if you lose people because they don't want to comply, okay, you can still, uh, you know, have enough nurses to staff the beds but in rural america for instance that doesn't make sense we're already struggling with enough people to man the beds and woman the beds if you will yeah. and and so we're yeah. going to put on n95s and respect people's decision because it's more important to me to have someone in the bed rather than to have everyone vaccinated but not enough people you know and that's that's where i struggle well, with it's, these it's, uh, these command and control type type protocols
0: Absolutely, and recognizing that uh, our entire wings of hospitals, rural hospitals, as well as urban hospitals, despite hospitals being protected in the media, they're they're not dedicated to COVID. There are other things that people are dealing with, and and there are nurses and doctors that specialize in areas that that we just, it it doesn't seem like a, a prudent policy to me, but again, I'm not a health policy guy. Uh, and I, I trust your judgment on that as much as anybody's, Randy.
1: Well, I, I think given the, the latest and in increasing data on natural immunity, I think that people ought to be given credit for having uh, gone through the misery of having COVID, whether they were s- slightly miserable or, or on, an, on a vent. <laughs> well, either way. Um, lastly, like in the couple it minutes it we had, have, Eric.
0: There's also a personal liberty issue here, Randy. Yeah, there's a personal no. liberty issue here, Randy. I just get really uncomfortable. With, with uh, I don't care if it's federal government, local government, county board, what have you. If you don't want to take a medication, I, I used to think that was a stance you could have in the United States. It, it appears right. to not in some cases, and that's unfortunate.
1: Hey, in the last couple minutes here, um, world leaders reached a, a what's called a landmark deal on a global corporate tax rate. To, in the in the in this report anyway to stem the tide of the decline, the spiraling down uh, of uh, corporate taxes. And uh, they were going to redistribute this money, a 15 percent minimum tax across the globe to uh, to fight climate change. Uh, What's this all about? What's this mean for America's businesses and economy?
0: Yeah, it. it, it uh, I don't think it's going to mean much to anybody right now. Uh, they, so, what, really, what we have here is an accord between a group of countries to set this global minimum of corporate tax rate. It's not a global tax, to be clear. It's not something you'll know, go to the UN or something like that. It's a way to equalize taxation between countries. And there are certain tax havens, places like Ireland and Estonia, uh, the Caymans, where uh, you know the, the, the corporate corporations have been able to be domiciled to benefit from lower tax rates. Earn profits that are considered there, and then not mm-hmm. repatriate, uh, repatriotize them back into their home country. Um, they they got some big other countries to sign on to the deal, but there's a lot of people that are are saying this is probably not gonna stick. uh, Because while you had a group of of leaders, heads of state get together and say they have a deal, that's not the same as the respective parliaments and and Congress Mm. and uh, different legislative bodies actually endorsing that deal. And global taxes are complicated. Countries are always looking for an edge. So that's the story this week. Let's see where it goes over the next three months and if anything actually gets passed.
1: Beautiful. Hey, thanks for all your time this morning and look forward to your discussion uh, coming up on On the Money. So that'll be spot on with what we talked about in terms of the jobs report and everything. And, of course, you'll have lots more. Hey, always enjoy talking to you. And thanks again in advance for uh, for hosting the show here on The Tober Show next week, Eric Robert. Appreciate you very much, my friend.
0: Can't wait. See you, Randy.
1: Carrie Sheffield coming up. Impact of the reconciliation bill on moms, women's family and more. Stay tuned.